Why do we need to learn to be content? Well, it's in our DNA not to be non-content. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Eve had thousands of trees and the devil tricked her into one tree. She wasn't content with all the others, but there was uh, the one that she couldn't have. Now, we're all notorious for using or doing something without reading the directions or heeding instructions. Uh, we search for contentment in all kinds of ways when God through Paul is showing us how. Um, how many know that you're not supposed to check the oil when the engine's running, right? Yeah. And uh, when you get a garbage disposal and you put a new one in, there's a factory plug in there that you have to take out or else your dishwasher isn't going to work. So, yeah. So today we're going to review Paul's, yeah, Paul's 20 keys to contentment. We'll review what it is, what it's not, and how to get it. So what is it? Well, it's a noun. It's a state of happiness and satisfaction. Synonyms include fulfillment, happiness, pleasure, cheerfulness, gladness, gratification, ease, comfort, restfulness, well-being, peace, serenity, and tranquility. So what isn't, what is it not? It's not ignorance. It's not apathy or failing to live in reality. It's not putting your head in the sand. But it is living in the reality of God's word and promises and those becoming more real than anything physical. So how do we get it? Well, we'll introduce you to the Philippians. So how many people remember the Golden Girls? Yeah, and Sophia. Picture it, Sicily, 1912. Well, in order to get to Philippians, we have to go through Rome. So picture it, Rome, 61 AD. Paul wrote Philippians from his house arrest in Rome, thanking the church in Philippi for their generous gift. In his letter, he offers his keys to contentment. Now remember, he's writing this in jail, from jail, right? From house arrest. So we have to start in Acts 16 before we head into the book of Philippians to understand the context that Paul's writing in. Acts chapter 16, 9 through 10. Then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from the Roman province of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we, including Luke, tried to go on into Macedonia at once, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 22. The crowd also joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and ordered that Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. After striking them many times with rods, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. He, having received such a strict command, threw them into the inner prison, which is the dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks in an agonizing position. But about midnight, when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, how many is that our first go-to when we're in trouble? Right? They were singing hymns and praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer was shaken out of his sleep, thinking that the prisoners uh, saw that the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, saying, Don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Now, if you understand kind of the inner dungeon, there weren't any lights in those days. It was too dark to see. But Paul knew in his spirit that they were still all there. 
Sometimes we read the Bible, but we don't really read the Bible, right? So key number one is know and obey what God has called you to do. Quit doing your own thing. There is a peace and a contentment in doing God's will. There's also a holy dissatisfaction that comes when you're going in the wrong direction. Sometimes bad things happen even when you're in God's will, right? Paul and Silas had a vision. Let's go to Macedonia. They went there, and what happened? They were beaten and thrown in jail. So you can't use circumstances to determine God's will. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a person thinks in his heart, so is he in behavior. The reason people are the way they are is because of the way they think in their heart. You are the way you are, not because of your circumstances, but because of the way you think about your circumstances. Circumstances are not an excuse for being depressed or discouraged. Key number two, think of others more than yourself. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's talking to you. (laughs) So in Philippians 1 through 11, um, so if you're discouraged, it's because you're totally self-absorbed. Thank you for that thunderous silence. Don't let, your, yeah, don't let your feelings dominate you. If you're so focused on your problem, you won't let go of it or think about anything else. It can become an obsession. It can lead to misery and unhappiness. Life is not fair. We live in a fallen world. And as you show love, you'll receive love. And again, all these are found in Philippians 1 through 11. So I'll let you take it home because I've got 40 slides and so I'm trying to get through this be a good Bible study, maybe, so a small group. Key number three is to have something bigger than yourself to live for. Uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 20, in verse 15, it says, some, it is true, are actually preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And so Paul chastises them for that. But the former preach Christ insecurely out of selfish ambition. Um, but as long as Christ is being preached, Paul says, I rejoice. Paul was focused on spreading the gospel no matter what. Selfishness is an inroad for Satan into our lives. You can have something beyond, you have to have something beyond self-promotion and self-satisfaction. Selfishness is our fallen nature default switch. The problem with selfishness is that it can never be satisfied. I read something uh, in the news this week. We have a a poverty problem not because we have too many poor people but because we have too many rich people that are never satisfied and so it's I need more I need more I need more and instead of giving out of their wealth they just hoard and hoard and hoard Matthew 6:33 says seek first the kingdom of God and Philippians 1:20 there's no self-preservation allowed we must die to ourselves Christ is number 1 key number 4 be dead to yourself. For, me to lie, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, verse 21 says. It's got to all be about Christ. And to understand this, we have to kind of go back to what did Paul endure? So 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 18, he says, We're pressured in every way, hedged in, not crushed, perplexed, Unsure of finding a way out, but not driven to despair. 
hunted down, persecuted, but not deserted to stand alone, were struck down, but never destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. For we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be evidenced in our mortal body, which is subject to death. So physical death is actively at work in us, but spiritual life is actively at work in you. So we, and then skipping down to verse 18, so we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. So this is a historically accurate picture of Paul and some of the things that he encountered. Second <laughs> Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28, Paul's light afflictions. Are they self-proclaimed servants of Christ? I am speaking as if I were out of my mind. I am more so, for I exceed them with far more labors, far more imprisonments, imprisonments, beaten times without number, and often in danger of death. Five times I received the Jews' 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night, a day, I have spent adrift in the sea. Many times on journeys exposed to dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my own countrymen, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, danger among those posing as believers, in labor and hardship, often unable to sleep, in hunger and thirst, often driven to fasting for lack of food, in cold and exposure without adequate clothing. Besides those external things, there is the daily inescapable pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul understood that when you're not dead to yourself, you're going to process your heavy burdens differently. You start to focus on your burdens rather than glorifying God. And Paul just kind of laid it all out. that These are all the things that I could focus on. These are all the things. I could have a big pity party. But he said, I'm not going to. I'm going to continue to just glorify God. The end of yourself is the beginning of God. If you're dead to yourself, people and things won't aggravate you. And that's kind of where all this came from. I had an incident happen a couple months ago where, you know, somebody really hurt me deeply. And I went to God and I said, why did that hurt me so deeply? And he said, because you're putting more emphasis on them than me. And I, I lost focus. And so as we continue to focus on the things of God, you can be beaten like Paul and it didn't matter. It's all good. So Proverbs 13.10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride is self-centeredness. Loving God more than yourself will diffuse anger in your life. God loves me and accepts me, so what do I care what others think of me? Now, don't be codependent, which is where you depend on others to give you a sense of value, importance, and acceptance. Go to the Word. Find out what God says about you. Key number five. There's 20 keys, so we're a quarter way there. <laughs> Be like-minded. Therefore, if there's any encouragement, comfort in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, having the same love towards one another, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, he says. It's impossible to do this in the flesh under your own strength, and that's why we need to encounter Christ on a daily basis, to go to him and say, teach me to sit at the feet of the master and to learn from him. 
It's going to require effort on our part. Walk in love. And that's that agape love, that unmerited love. You didn't do anything to deserve it, just like we didn't do anything to deserve God's love. But he will teach us how to walk in love towards people, uh, just as he walks in love towards us. Love puts others first. God put us first and sent Jesus. Jesus gave up, gave, gave up his preference over his own comfort uh, and came to us. So you have to understand, Jesus was sitting there in the heavens, basking in glory, angels worshiping him day and night. If there is day and night in heaven, I don't know. Never been there. But, um, you know, he gave all that up to become a mere man. Key number six, think like Christ. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it says, have this same attitude in yourselves. Exalt, benefit, bless others. Put your life, pour your life into others. Help them succeed. But our natural inclination is, but what about me? I've got needs. God will take care of you. God's kind of love will take care of you. Humble yourself. Don't worry about being taken advantage of. God's got it all under control. Help others without a thought of personal benefit. Joy and peace will be a natural byproduct of loving God and esteeming others more than yourself. Key number seven, hold fast the word of God. Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says, Do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated, children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation. Again, this was 61 A.D., 2,000 years fast forward. We still have the same moral problems that Paul was talking about back then. Among whom you are seen as bright lights, beacons, shining out clearly in the world of darkness, holding out and offering to everyone the word of life. Again, so we encounter Christ so we can connect with people and give them what they're so desperately looking for. Let the word dominate everything you do. Filter everything through the word. We can get some good advice from Dr. Oz and Oprah and all kinds of people, right? But then you have to go to the word and say, but what's the word say about that? Don't look at things through the carnal mind. And so the carnal in the Greek uh, it means meat. So basically he's saying don't be a meathead. <laughs> Stand on and in the word of God. Do the word regardless of how you feel. Rejoicing is a choice you make. Rejoice in the Lord always, not just when things are going well. Key number eight, place no confidence in your flesh. And that's Philippians 3, 1 through 9. And so Paul, uh, place no confidence in your accomplishments. Trust in the Lord, not yourself. Once you are saved, your flesh hasn't improved. Only your spirit has changed. Your flesh will go back to what it does best unchecked if you step out of Christ, which is what happened to me two months ago. Now, there is a role for fasting as well. Fasting trains your flesh because your flesh is used to three or more meals a day, and you start limiting that, and your flesh is going to rise up against you. And so what fasting does, it basically brings your flesh under submission to your spirit. Fasting trains your flesh. If you place confidence in your flesh or yourself, your flesh is eventually going to fail you 
and all of your peace and joy will fail too. If your confidence is in Christ, however, your joy and peace will never fail. Your joy, peace will fail if it's based on your accomplishments, not your confidence in Christ. Your inadequacies should drive you to your dependence on God. And that was the whole purpose of the law, right, in the Old Testament. You have to do this and this and this. And there was like ten commandments, but there was hundreds of other laws. Um, and the purpose of the law was basically saying, you can't do it. You're not good enough. There's, and so you are in a very sorry, helpless state. What are you going to do? And some people run from God, but the right answer is, I'm going to run to God. And I'm going to accept his payment for my inadequacies. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 says, Just look at your own calling, believers. Not many of you were considered wise according to human standards. Not many powerful or influential. Not many high and noble birth. But God has selected for his purpose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, revealing their ignorance. And God has selected for his purpose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, revealing their frailty. God has selected for his purpose the insignificant, base things of the world and the things that are despised and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, so that he might reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one, thanks Matt, may be able to boast, right? If you were here last week, that's what Matt was talking about, no boasting. But it is from him that you are in Christ, who became to, his, to us wisdom from God, revealing his plan of salvation and righteousness, making us acceptable to God, and sanctification, making us holy, setting us apart for God, and redemption, providing our ransom from the penalty for sin. And then, as it is written in Scripture, he who boasts and glories, let him boast and glorify in God. A key to joy is your personal relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's the key. It's relative, right? My accomplishments out of Christ are meaningless compared to my accomplishments in Christ. In the King James Version, the word condemnation is used, which is an old building term from like engineers. If a building is condemned, it's not fit for use. By the world standards, we were considered not fit for use. Condemnation comes when we look at our own self-righteousness and not Jesus' righteousness. And again, the devil will try to get your focus back on you. Yeah, but you had this. You know, you, your parents were divorced. You came from a broken home. You, you know, all these types of things. You have alcohol in your family, you know. So, again, we need to stay focused on Jesus. Key number nine, God deals with me based on who I am in Christ. James 1, 23 to 25, and that's not going to be up here, so you'll have to look it up when you get home. The Word is a mirror that we look into. So as we look into the Bible, it, it reveals to us who we are and what we look like in the Spirit. And that's how God sees us. God sees us as conquerors. He sees us as kings and queens, children of God. And so as we stay focused on that, we won't listen to you know, the voices of the world that say, you're a divorcee, you're no good, you're condemned, or whatever. So Paul, uh, in Philippians 3, 9 to 10, this is key number 9, and Paul's talking about uh, not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, but possessing that genuine righteousness which, come, which comes through faith in Christ. And this, that I may know him experientially, 
becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. It's not about my accomplishments. It's his righteousness, not mine. And righteousness, just if you break that down, uh, is right standing with God. God loves me. You know, and there was one guy who used to say, God loves me, and he has a picture of me in his wallet. So, we have to have that personal, intimate relationship with Christ. Key number 10 is if you have a personal relationship with Christ, you'll never be lonely. A recent study shows that up to 11% of millennials are lonely. Again, are we connecting with them? Are we taking Jesus to them and saying, you don't have to be lonely? The true goal of Christianity is a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And that word to know in verse 10, and this so that I may know him experientially. Adam, it's like in the Old Testament in the Garden of Eden, Adam knew his wife and bore a son. It's an intimate knowledge. You can have a head knowledge, your mental ascent that, yeah, I know who Jesus is. All the Muslims know who Jesus is. He was a great prophet. But he wasn't the son of God. And so to know Jesus, um, that's what it's all about. Key number 11 is to forget the past. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own thing, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind and reach forward to lies ahead. And again, sometimes this requires help uh, to forget those things. A lot of us have a lot of bad things that have happened to us in the past, and we need to forget those things. Learn to let go of certain things. Remember the good things. Forget the fleshly accomplishments. Forget condemnation. And forget guilt of things you did in the past. It'll be an anchor that'll prevent you from ever doing what God has intended you to do. So another historically accurate picture of Paul. Key number 12, focus on the one thing. And again, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. And that includes that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. What one thing has God called you to do? You know the best way to kill someone's vision? Give them two. Stop doing what he hasn't called you to do. You can still support good things, but it's not your focus. You, can only, you only have one chance to fulfill the perfect will of God for your life. God gave each of us gifts, talents, and an anointing. We need to go back to God and say, teach me, show me, reveal to me. What is that if you don't know? What are you focusing on? Your problems or his promises? Did you guys ever wonder how Peter got back into the boat? Again, we read the Bible, right? And we read that he started walking on the water, which was cool. And then he lost focus and he started to sink. How did he get back in the boat? The Bible, it isn't really clear on it, but I think he, you know, Jesus kind of talked to him and said, look, man, you can do this. Just stay focused on me. And they walked back to the boat, right? At least that's what I like to think. Key number 13, follow the right person. Yeah, Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Brothers and sisters, together follow my example and observe those who live by the pattern we gave you. Who do you associate with? 
Who you associate with has an influence on your joy and your happiness, especially if you have a negative Nancy or somebody like that that you deal with. Who do you let speak into your life? Oprah, Dr. Oz. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks as a companion with wise men will be wise, but the companions of conceited, dull-witted fools are fools themselves and will experience harm. Key number 14, stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, my fellow believers, whom I love and long for, my delight and crown, my wealth of victory, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Make a commitment to operate in joy. Be purposeful. Control your feelings. Choose like Job to bless the Lord. One way to bless the Lord is to be thankful. And in Romans 1, 21 to 32 is the slippery slope of unthankfulness. I don't have time to read that, but it's really interesting how they started to be thankless and then they started to get into depravity and it was just this big slippery slope. So we always got to maintain our thankful heart to God. Things may not be perfect. They weren't perfect in Job's life, but he was still thankful. He still had his eyes focused on God. Key number 15, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, take pleasure in him. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in every situation, but not for every situation. There's a distinction there. There's some things that the devil will try to put on you, and you need to be able to discern if it's God bringing that into your life or if it's Satan. If it's Satan, we're told to resist those things. Um, so we need to understand that. Joy is not the result of your circumstances. Joy is a noun. It's a thing that you can possess or lose. Rejoice is a verb, an action. It's a choice. Rejoicing draws the deep joy out of your spirit like a bucket drawing water out of a well. Rejoicing in praise is a weapon against the devil. Key number 16, cast all your cares on the Lord. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. Don't try to handle anything on your own. You need Jesus in everything. The most times I've gotten into trouble in my life is when the times where I thought, I got this, right? I don't need to pray today. I got this. It's just another day at work. Be anxious for nothing. That requires effort. My grandma was a worry wart, and if there wasn't anything to worry about, she'd worry because there wasn't anything to worry about. <laughs> Petition the Lord and trust him in everything you do. Pride prevents us from casting our cares onto the Lord. Again, I'm a man. I can do it. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and all that stuff. Don't get into pride. Humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Again, the Bible says that if a bird falls to the ground, God notices and how much more worthy uh, are we as children of God. Key number 17, let the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds. 
Philippians 4, 7 says, In the peace of God, that peace that reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Do not let your heart be troubled or afraid. Let God's peace rule in your heart and in your mind. Key number 18, think about good things. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's any uh, thing worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them on your hearts. We're good because we live in a world of negativism. You know, you hear about a plane crash, but how many times do we ever hear about the thousands of planes that land successfully? We don't, right? <laughs> We're focused on bad stuff. So think about good things. You know, there's a lot of bad stuff to think on, to meditate on, things like that. Think on the good things. Guard your heart. Focus on spiritual things. Those things are more real than physical things. Be careful what you watch, read, or listen to. It can impact uh, your heart. Key number 19, just do it. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. And the God who is a source of peace and well-being will be with you. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Imitate Christ. And last key is key number 20. Learn how to be content. In uh, Philippians 4, 10 through 11 says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me. So again, Paul's writing this from house arrest. The Philippians, a church at Philippi, didn't know if he was dead or alive. They didn't have the communication devices we have today. Um, and so they finally found out, hey, he's alive, cool. So they sent him a big gift. Um, and so that's why he's saying, you know, you renewed your concern for me, uh, but you had no opportunity to show it because you thought I was dead. And not that I speak from any personal need. I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, not himself. Satisfied to the point to where I am not disturbed or uneasy. How many would like to get to that place? All right. Regardless of my circumstances. So we need to learn how to be content in all circumstances. This is going to require time and effort. You didn't go from first grade to twelfth grade in a year. And so um, I'll close with 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For our momentary light distress, this passing trouble, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond our measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor and an endless blessedness. So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. 
For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. So to sum it all up, what I'm trying to say is this last slide, focus on the one thing, everything else is but a scratch. Amen?